Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. It is an honor and a privilege to have you. Uh, you being here is an encouragement to us, and we hope that, that it's encouraging, encouraging to you to be here to worship God together. What a wonderful, wonderful Bible class emphasis day that we've had. Visitors have been with us throughout the day. Visitors have eaten lunch with us. We've enjoyed each other's company. We appreciate so much, Andrew and for his leadership in this day, but also in this area of work that he serves all year long and does such a wonderful, wonderful job. Appreciate the powerful message this morning. And do keep in mind, uh, the cards are available out in the foyer uh, for the next two Sunday nights as lessons will be presented. Uh, cracking the Da Vinci Code, uh, probably already people that are either your neighbors or coworkers or friends I've already asked you about that, and I want to encourage you. Now is a golden opportunity to go back to those people with one of those cards in your hand and say, hey, you were asking about that? Why don't you come and hear a lesson where those answers will be given with an open mind and in truth? Uh, we appreciate Andrew so much and his willingness to present these lessons. And let's make sure that we use this for the opportunity that it really ought to be. Let's make sure that we capitalize upon it. Bobby Coles and Paul Gentry have left today uh, to deliver more supplies to Mississippi, but also uh, to spend a day or two down there evaluating the possibilities, what he spoke to us a few weeks ago. And so hopefully as they return, we will know much more uh, about our plans in the future and our involvement in the Katrina relief. Be prayerful about that. And, and as already, you've shown a great willingness of involvement. And so let's be ready to hear uh, what the report is when they return. You probably have already noticed the past couple of weeks that you see a lot better in here. It's not that something has changed with your eyes. It's actually that we have 20-something more light bulbs shining right now. And uh, we appreciate so much uh, Terry Burton helping us secure the lift. And also Jamie Harper and his many, many hours along with several others. And if there's room in the bulletin this week for that, those others will be mentioned. And we appreciate each of you on that. And, and also, as soon as another piece of equipment comes in, these other few lights will be changed too. Those right now are just a little bit out of reach with the present equipment. But we appreciate so much uh, their willingness to uh, go to that work and go to that height uh, to be able to help us there. We appreciate so much uh, Jay Kef and his continual working with such an event as this past or this weekend. As many of us have finished up spending 12 hours together, what a blessing it has been to be with each other, but also to have such powerful lessons taught to us about learning to listen and hearing people's story. In other words, we want to know when someone hurts. We want to hear their pain, and we want to be able to, to serve them. And what a blessing it's been. Keep in mind, next weekend we'll have the same opportunity as that continues further. I want to just quickly mention to you uh, an FYI. I want you to know that my heart is right here. This is where I love to be. I wouldn't choose to be any other place in the world. In ministry, there's always that, that pull of, okay, how much do you do other places and how much do you do at home? I'm thankful I have elders that decide that for me. 
I have three meetings a year that I'm away on Sunday. It just so happens next Sunday's one of those, and then uh, I am privileged to be able to go down to El Salvador and work with that campaign that will be the following Sunday. And so as I'll be away a few Sundays in a row, please do not mistake that absence for the fact of a lack of interest here. Uh, I can't wait to return and be back home with you. In the few minutes that we have tonight, I want to encourage you to take your Bible and open to the book of Mark. It'll be about page 881 or 882 in your pew Bible. This is going to be more of a teaching lesson. This is going to be the type of lesson that you'll have plenty of opportunities to flip through your scriptures. And what we want to do is we want to take a quick survey of the book of Mark. We can't even get close to covering the hem of the garment of all the things in the book of Mark. But why survey a book? If this lesson encourages you and I to learn more of the Word of God, we will have succeeded tonight. Because the Scriptures are literally, the word inspired comes from the root, God breathed. It comes from breath. God breathed it. This is God's Word. This is God's will. How often times have we said, I just wish I knew what God's will was in my life. You know, that's why we need to know the Scriptures, because more Scripture that we know, more we will know of God's will in our life. But secondly, when we especially look at the book of Mark, like the other three Gospels, they're all about the life of Christ. We want to be like Christ. We want to grow more into His image every day. We want to live for Him now and with Him for an eternity. And how wonderful it is to be able to spend some time learning more and be reminded of other things that we already know about the life of Christ. Because you know what? I ought to take that and emulate that this week. You ought to take something that we learned tonight and say, I can apply that tomorrow in a situation that I'm going to be involved in. So as we think about this survey, think with me first about the writer, the author, John Mark. As we think about John Mark, we know from Colossians, the fourth chapter, that he was a cousin of Barnabas. We know also from 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, where he is recognized as Peter's son. That leads us to believe that probably Peter had something to do with his conversion, or at least his growing up in the Lord and maturity. We also know from the book of Acts in the 13th chapter that he was a part of the first missionary journey. Not a lot is said about all that he accomplished on that journey. What is remembered about that is that he deserted the journey along the way. And a few chapters later, the second missionary journey is about to begin. And you remember that Paul and Barnabas had that dissension because Paul did not want to take John Mark, but yet Barnabas did. What I see from all of this is a beautiful closing to the life of John Mark because also over there in Colossians 4, Paul does not any longer say, I don't need him near me. Now he's writing to those of Colossae back from Rome, and he identifies him as one of his fellow workers. And then when we go over to the last writing of inspiration of Paul in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, we see that as he nears his death, he asks, bring John Mark with you, for he's profitable to me in ministry. Just for what it's worth, how could John Mark not succeed? I tell you what, I get goosebumps. Now, you're going to probably think this is crazy for me to even say it with this much emotion. But I get goose bumps thinking about, can't even talk, I get so excited about it. Can, can you imagine, can you imagine being John Mark and having those kind of influences in your life? 
how could he not succeed? Now, I know it's up to each individual to succeed. But if your cousin is Barnabas, the son of encouragement, and possibly the one that helped converted you was the great Peter, the zealous, ambitious Peter. And if you're able to take missionary journeys and be asked to come, John Mark, come, I need your help, by the great apostle Paul. That's amazing. What a blessing it is for you and I to be able to encourage and influence each other. What a blessing you and I have to be involved in the life of a congregation. We have people that have characteristics like Barnabas. We have people that have characteristics like Paul. We have people that have characteristics of Peter. What a blessing it is for you and I to be in such a church family. Now, as we think about the book of Mark as very closely related to a point that Andrew made this morning about the audience as, as he was looking into another gospel. Remember, he mentioned the fact that Matthew targeted primarily the Jewish audience. But yet, when we look in the book of Mark, we see that the audience must have been Gentile. Because when we look in the book of Mark, there are peculiar Jewish interests that we see listed heavily in Matthew. They're simply not there in the book of Mark. But yet we do see that whenever Mark needed to record aspects that would pertain to the Jewish life, he defined them. In other words, he didn't just use Jewish terms and leave them standing alone. He would use the term and then define it because the Jewish audience is not going to know what that term is. And then also where, for example, in the, New, in, um, the book of Matthew, the Old Testament was relied upon heavily as prophecy being fulfilled. But yet that reliance upon the Old Testament and the prophets, we don't find that in the book of Mark because the Gentile audience would not have been familiar with that. Now, before we go into just some things about the book of Mark, I want you to see something that, again, is a note of interest to hopefully help us better appreciate the Gospels, and especially tonight, the book of Mark. If you look in your Bible, or we'll have a slide for it, we're going to the book of Malachi, and we're going to the last writings of inspiration in Malachi, the fourth chapter. In Malachi, the fourth chapter, notice especially as we read verse 5, and this you're looking there at the last two books written of inspiration in the Old Testament. After this will be 400 years of silence, and then we'll open the New Testament. And so notice what he says here. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, does that mean that Elijah's going to come back again? No, this is symbolism here to say I'm going to send you a great prophet. It's not going to be Elijah again. That great prophet that he sends is John the Baptist. And so it's so neat, and I'll go ahead and give you a head start of what we're doing here. We're linking Malachi with the book of Acts, and Mark fits in perfectly, joining the two together. And so coming out of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, he says, be looking for him, be looking for him. There's going to be a forerunner of Jesus Christ. He's going to be a great prophet. He's going to be Elijah-like. And so then we go to the book of Mark and look in the first few pages in the book of Mark. And what do we find? We find in verse 4, prophecy leading up to that. In verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And in verse 7, he preached saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and to loosen. Right where Malachi ended. That is exactly where Mark picks up. 
Now, when we go to the very end of Mark and we go to Mark, the 16th chapter in verse 19, just as the book of Mark ends with only one more verse after that, it ends in 19 by saying he was received up into heaven. This is talking about Jesus. He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And then we go over to Acts, the first chapter. And how does Acts, the first chapter begin? It's almost as if Luke, writing the book of Acts, if he were going to refer back to Mark, he would say, now, wait a minute. You need to back up just a few verses before Mark ends. And I want to tell you about something in a little more detail than Mark did. I want to tell you about that last talk that he had with the apostles. And then he ascends. And so we see in verse 4 of Acts, the first chapter, that they were told to wait in Jerusalem. And they were told in verse 5 that they, the apostles, would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That was a promise. That was not a command. Notice that. Baptism of the Holy Spirit has never been something that people do. It's something that they received. And that promise was only given to the apostles. And they received. In other words, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was poured upon them. And we go to verse 9, and he says... Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud and received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who, said, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And you know probably what happens in Acts 2 church begun. You see the link from Malachi to the beginning of the church is filled in beautifully with the gospels. We see that perfectly with the book of Mark. Recently, we finished studying on Wednesday night, the book of Mark in a class this past quarter. And I've enjoyed so much that class and, and, and studying out of the book of Mark. This week, I went back and reread most of Mark, and, and I tried to just make some general notes about if someone did not know anything about Jesus, and in just a few bullet points, you wanted to say, these are some major areas, the life of Jesus, that Mark wanted us to know. And of course, we know Mark was writing by inspiration. So it's things that God, working to the Holy Spirit of God working through Mark for these things to be written. What would they be? Let's look to this next slide and let's see uh, these bullets here of some things as we look at the message and ministry of Jesus according to Mark. First we see, and, and we're going to run through these first, just you noting them, and then we'll go back and, and we'll look at just a, a passage about each one of these. First we see that Jesus... A great part of his life and the power of his life was invested in disciples and especially apostles. He knew that he wouldn't stay on this earth forever. And he knew that the church would not even begin while he was on this earth. Now, I don't know if you thought about that lately, but let that sink in and then we will understand why he put so much emphasis on preparing the apostles. He was going to ascend into heaven just as we read in Acts 1. Now, who was going to be there on earth to begin this church? The apostles. No wonder he spent so much time with the twelve, preparing them to be great and powerful leaders, ready for the challenge that stood before them. Secondly, we see his power over evil. We see several times in the Gospels, and especially in the book of Mark, 
him confronting and conquering demons. There has never been an evil force that Christ has not been able to prevail over it. I need to hear that in my life. All of us wrestle with some kind of temptation. All of us wrestle with something that at times may seem bigger than we are. And you know what? It may be. But it is not bigger than Jesus. We see the power that Jesus has over evil when we flip and study through the Gospels. The third thing that we see is His power that He exemplified through miracles. We see Him healing. We see Him being able, as we just sung, we see Him being able to say to a storm, Peace, be still. And if you will just imagine that one, rough winds, rough waters, people fearful for their life that were accustomed to being on the water. And he was able, through his power, to say, be still. He was able to feed 5,000 with just a lunch. He was able to another occasion to feed 4,000. He was able to walk on water. Mark wants us to know that Jesus Christ is powerful. We see that power in his miracles. We also see the power that he had over enemies. From the very beginning of his ministry, they wanted to destroy him. And we see that his enemies were never in control. He always remained in control. We see also his powerful teachings that he gave. The people were astonished when they heard his parables or when they heard his teachings that were definitely presented by a master. We also see his power over death. We also see the power in that great commission to go into all the world. And we also see his power to ascend. And that also reminds us, if he has the power to ascend, he also has the power to fulfill the promise that he'll come back one day. Let's give a quick look at some of these things. Go back, if you will, with me to Mark, the first chapter. You'll see there in verse 16 in Mark, the first chapter, was that on y'all's screen too? <laughs> That's different. Okay. That was not a picture of Mark. That was Kevin. <laughs> All right. And, and Mark, the first chapter, we see, beginning at verse 16, we see his call of, of the four closest, of, of James and John and, and Andrew and Peter, and we see how important that call was. And we go over to the second chapter. In verse 13, we see that he called Matthew or Levi, the tax collector. And we see that great confession in the eighth chapter of Peter saying that he declares that you are the Christ, as he's speaking to Jesus, of course. And then I want to take the time for just a moment, if you will, go with me to the ninth chapter and then the tenth chapter. And as we see, and we've skipped over other things, we've skipped over him sending out uh, the twelve to do the great work, to train them, to prepare them for the work that is out in front of them. And so, as we come to the ninth chapter, this was one of the things that the apostles apparently struggled with a great deal, and it's one of the things that Jesus did not cut them any slack. If they were going to be leaders in his church, if they were going to be leaders for his cause, they were going to have to get over arrogance and become humble. And so we see here in the ninth chapter, reading in verse 33, then he came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them. Now picture this happening, okay? 
They've been traveling. They're now in the house. And Jesus says to them, uh, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? And they kept silent. For on the road, they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a little child and he set them in the midst of him. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. You see Jesus teaching here? They were ashamed, weren't they? What did you talk about on the road? Can you imagine them kind of looking at each other, looking to the ground? Can you imagine how one of them wanted to change the subject? Jesus didn't have to hear their answer. He knew. And he's teaching them. You have to learn how to be a servant. God's leaders are always servants. Please note this. They don't act like servants. God's leaders are servants. If you could rip everything away to the core of their heart, genuine godly leaders are servants at heart. They don't see themselves as better than anyone. They don't see anyone that ought to serve them. They see themselves as people that ought to serve others. Let's see this one more time as we go uh, to the 10th chapter. As we go to the 10th chapter, look at verse 35. 35 we see this story unfold of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they came and they asked, uh, in, in verse 36, he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? In 37, they said, grant us that we may set one on your right hand and one on your left hand in your glory. And Jesus said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm able to drink, be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. And so Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized, uh, that you'll be baptized. But to set on my right hand, to set on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared. Now, we do need to take hats off here to these two young men. Because you know what? They did drink the cup that Jesus drank. They did have the baptism that he had. And if you remember over in the book of Acts, it was Herod that took with the sword and he executed him. Yes, Lord. James said, I'm, I'm willing to give my life. Note this, friends. In a moment of arrogance, good-hearted men were being corrected. They were able to step down in humility and serve and later you could fast forward and they had become the men that God wanted them to become. John was willing to spend time in exile on an island. James was willing to give his life. Friends, I want to beg you tonight, let's learn from Jesus working with disciples. Whatever level of servanthood I have now, I need to make sure that that matures and is more compassionate and is greater and more effective as long as I live. 
And whatever arrogance right now that I battle, and I think I'm safe to say all of us would battle that to a degree. But you know what? Next year, I ought to have a little bit better check on that. And next year, I ought to have even a better check. Because the more I mature in Christ, the greater my servant's heart and the less my arrogance and pride. Let's note some things now, more so in bullet form, as we go back and just touch on these others. When we see back in Mark, the first chapter, and we think about, in Mark, the first chapter, we think about the miracles or the, the power that, that the Lord had over evil. Let's do that one first. The power that he had over evil. We see in verse 21 that he came into Capernaum. He was in the synagogue and there a man entered in that was possessed by demons. And the demons even say in verse 24, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And he rebuked them and, and the man was convulsed by these demons. And when he cast them out, notice the result in 27. And this is just going to emphasize the power that Jesus had over demons and how it affected everyone that saw it. They were all amazed that they were questioned among themselves saying, what is it then? I lost my place. What is it then? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And what was the result? And immediately his fame spread throughout all the regions of Galilee. What was it that people noticed? They noticed that he had power over demons. Let's go to the next one. Very next verse, verse 29, we see the power that he had in a miraculous sense. We see that Peter's mother-in-law is suffering with sickness. And we see in 31, he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her and she served them. Let's go to the third chapter and we, let's see the power that he had over his enemies. In the third chapter, in verse 1, he entered the synagogue again, and the man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely. Now notice, this is how we know they're enemies. They're not there with open minds. They're not there to see if they can support Jesus. They're there to accuse Jesus. And it says, they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And of course, Jesus did heal this man. And he says in verse 4 to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Notice this. Then the Pharisees went out immediately, plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Friends, notice this is the beginning of his earthly ministry. And what's happening? They're ready to destroy him. They're already plotting how they could kill him. We see the apostles being selected in that same chapter in verse 13. But notice his powerful teaching in the fourth chapter as we see the parable of the souls. And as we go throughout the Gospels, we see many other powerful teachings. Go with me now as we look to the 14th chapter as we bring this lesson toward a conclusion. The 14th chapter, we, we see the ending, if you will, of the life of Christ. In the 14th chapter, I need to be reminded of this. Jesus was in control even at the point of his death. In the 14th chapter in verse 1, it says, After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. And they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. 
Do you see how that proves that Jesus was in control? They said, we want to take his life, but not during the Passover. And when did Jesus die? Jesus died during the Passover. He remained in control. It was on his timetable. That's why in John 10, he says, no man takes my life, I lay it down. That's why he turned to Judas after dipping the bread and handing it to him as identifying him as the betrayer. And he said, what you do, do quickly. In other words, he's putting Judas on his timetable. Friends, I need to realize that the power of death in Jesus was that he was in control the whole time. Yes, he needed strength that he found through God the Father in the Garden of Eden. But he remained submissive. He remained in control. He remained powerful the whole time. And a great bit of that power is seen in the fact of his resurrection. When we look in Mark, the 16th chapter, we see in verse 9 that when he, they... Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. You remember when she went back, they wouldn't even believe. And then in, in the 12th verse, we see that he appeared also to the two men on the road to Emmaus. And when they came back and told them, they couldn't believe either that they had seen the resurrected Lord. And finally, when he appeared in their midst, they did believe. And by the way, that part of it is not found in this gospel, but in Luke 22. When we go further into this last chapter, we see the Great Commission. Verse 15, he has the power to give this Great Commission because all authority has been given to him. And so he's standing before the apostles and he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. For in our powerful Jesus gives a powerful commission. A commission that's been carried out for 2,000 years and Let's give all of our life and all of our energy to do what we can do to carry that out. And then we read in verse 19, he had the power to ascend and he'll come back again. We serve an awesome God. We serve a Lord Jesus that while he was on this earth, he proved in everything he said and everything that he did that he's almighty and that he's all caring. He cares for you and I more than anybody else. If you haven't given your life to Him, come home this evening to one who loves you beyond what words can describe. Come home to a powerful Savior. If you've never been baptized in Christ for remission of sins, or if you have but strayed from Him and need to come home, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.